Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the show. Firstly, just want to say a big thank you for the overwhelming support. It means the world to us. Today's episode is a little different to the standard Doss and D show. Today's episode is more of a story, and our advice is that you have some tissues close by because this might confront some people. John Maher is our special guest, and his story is unique. In this episode, John tells his heartbreaking story of how a car accident changed his life, but tragically, two and a half years later, claimed the life of his daughter. I'm not going to say any more than that, as you're about to hear the detailed story of the events leading up to, the day of, and the tragic details of the aftermath of this event. The episode ends, however, in inspirational hope as John has bravely carried on his daughter's legacy in the desperate mission that what him and his family went through doesn't happen to anyone else, even though the pain is still so real. John speaks to an estimated 70 schools a year along with corporate clients that has taken him across the world. We are so thankful to have been given the opportunity to share his story with our community. This is a powerful episode that will change your perspective when you next get behind the wheel, but it also shows how fragile life is and the impact that is left behind for the loved ones in a situation like this. Last year, during a pandemic, we lost 1,106 lives on the road in Australia. It's incredible when the total COVID deaths in Australia last year was 909. That just shows how dangerous the roads can really be. My challenge to everyone listening is to pull out your phone and text the people closest to you and just tell them that you love them. This podcast is a perfect reminder of why we need to do that more often. You'll hear why shortly. For now, here's John Ma. We'll speak to you all soon. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Doss and D Show. Two great mates striving to improve in all areas of their lives. The podcast is designed to empower everyday humans just like us who want to add more joy, energy and happiness into their daily lives. Sharing our real life experiences and everyday struggles, relating to them in a personal way. Expect uncensored stories, plenty of laughs and tips and tricks to inspire you on your own journey. Now, let's go balls deep. How are you feeling, Doss? Today's a very special episode. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a beautiful episode, I feel, mate, because um, we're tackling probably a subject that we've never really talked about, have we? No, we haven't. It's going to be confronting for a lot of people, and we're not going to waste any more time, so we're going to introduce John now. So, John Ma, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, D and Doss. That's really good. Thanks, just, John. I've well, just found some new uh, nicknames for you guys. Good. <laughs> we love it. Thank Great. you, mate. Great. Well, John, we're so excited to have you here. Like we said, this is a different episode than our previous episodes for those that listen to the show. John is going to tell us the story today. It's going to, like I said, it's very confronting. So I think, John, just before we get into the story, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, and what you're doing with yourself now? Yes. Well, I was the manager of an insurance company in Bendigo. This is going back when I was young, and I actually had hair. <laughs> I started out in Ballarat and uh, played footy for Bungaree. Start, lived in Bungaree, played footy for Bungaree, went into Ballarat playing footy for Ballarat. Then I went to Bendigo as the manager of the insurance company and playing football in Ballarat and uh, coaching cricket as well, A-grade cricket. So we made a move when I was 28 up to Bendigo. Okay. We had uh, four beautiful daughters we, uh, we took with us and um, uh, they were educated in Bendigo. And uh, when I was 42, I, we actually won the premiership in the cricket. Oh, good. Yes, which was good. And <laughs> we were going out to celebrate um, what we'd achieved for the year. And Ange went off to church on the Sunday morning and there was all barbecues set up on X Creek, ready to, for, for the barbecues for everyone to come out. And I said, well, look, I won't go to church this morning. I'll go out and make sure the barbecues are working properly and I'll see you guys out there. So 
I borrowed Michelle, our eldest daughter's car, and I headed off towards the barbecues, what I thought would be the barbecues. Instead, I was actually going to a car crash, just five kilometres from home in Axtar. And uh, it was my car crash, a four-wheel drive, was coming out of Axtale, out of the 60 kilometre zone. I was in the 80 kilometre zone, slowing towards 60, and I noticed this four-wheel drive lose control. So I came to a complete stop on the highway and I sat there in Michelle's little Toyota Corolla. And I'm sitting there, the four-wheel drive veered across the road in front of me, looked like it was going into the trees. Instead, it swerved back again, and it swerved so tightly, the front really ducked down and the bull bar dug into the road, shot the four-wheel drive up in the air. I lost complete sight of it over, off the, uh, above the roofline of my car. And for me, then the lights went out because it had landed upside down on the roof and bonnet of my car. I was knocked unconscious. Uh, when I came to for the first time, uh, I heard someone outside the car saying, whoever is in there has got to be dead. And I called out to him and I said, I'm okay in here. Wow. And uh, I was trapped in the car for an hour and 50 minutes. Oh. Yeah. What saved my life was that the impact with the four-wheel drive landing on the roof, the roof came down on top of me both front seats broke and laid me, I was laid back into the um, back seat in my driver's seat, flat, with the roof squashed down on top of me. I couldn't even lift a hand. The next time, so I'm unconscious, the next time I came to, can you imagine this, Angie's coming home from church in Axdale, she's the third car on the scene, and she was screaming out to me from outside the, the car for about 10 minutes before I came to and heard her. And uh, I said, Ange, I'm okay. I've got a broken nose, a broken jaw, a broken foot, but a particular part of my anatomy was still intact. <laughs> so so, so Ange said the two guys were like you. They had a bit of a laugh yeah. about that, um, even though it was a very serious situation. And uh, Ange said she didn't laugh, but she said it did relieve her um, worries yeah. a little bit. And of course, I immediately passed out again. I only remember three to four minutes of the hour and 50 minutes that I was in the car. Mm. Yeah. Can you talk us through, I guess, your rehabilitation? Like, you survived yes. the car crash. Yes, I will. What was yep. the next process? I yeah, guess? well, um, I was taken into St John of God's Hospital in Bendigo. Yep. They actually had the helicopter on the way up to pick me up because I have uh, 26 plates and screws in my face. That's why I still look like I'm still only 42. Yeah, you do look very handsome. <laughs> I do, I do. And uh, I have frontal lobe damage from uh, the brain injury that I received, which causes really serious short-term memory problems. And actually, it's the worst injury I have because my short-term memory is a real problem. Uh, I have neck and back injuries. And I spent six months walking up and down a hydro pool trying to get to walk properly again. I was under four specialists, three in Melbourne, one in Bendigo. And after uh, about three months, they all, one after the other, told me that I would never work again because of my injuries. I can tell you that I was really quickly learning that a car crash is not just a car crash. A car crash is a game changer. It's a life changer and far too often it's a life taker because in my car crash, when uh, I was still in the car, an ambulance officer was able to get in the back, uh, the back passenger seat and he was trying to put a drip in my arm. And uh, when he woke me up doing that, he said, what's your name? How old are you? Do you know what day it is? Do you know what time it is? And do you know what's happened? I answered all of those questions, said, questions and he said, mate, I can't believe it, but I think you might be okay. And I then said to him, how are the people in the other car? He said, the young lady is deceased. And Emma, I won't use her surname, but poor Emma, 
was 18 years and 24 days. Emma had had a license for just 23 days and I met Emma's dad six weeks after the car crash when he came out home to visit me. The very first words out of his mouth were, John, I'm really sorry for what's happened to you. And wow. he's lost his daughter yeah. and that's what he said to me. He then said, I bought my daughter a four-wheel drive to keep her safe and I've killed my only child. And not only was Emma an only child, she was also an only grandchild. And eight months later, Emma's mum and dad split up and they never to get back together again. And I'll tell you, a car, a car crash is not just a car crash. The ripple effect is so broad and so intense that people don't really understand. Only the people who've ever been through this, they understand what it's like and, and what happens. And, and my rehabilitation was long uh, and you get out of bed one morning, you feel that you've taken a couple of steps forward in the previous week and then all of a sudden you find your five steps backwards. And I'd go to my doctor and I'd say, this is what's happening now. He said, oh, yeah. he'd say, oh yes, I was expecting that. And it was so frustrating. I just would like there have, to have been a manual mm, to yeah. tell me that this is going to happen next. This is going to happen to you next. And I spent two years in counselling. And, you know, that is a place where I never, ever want to be again because I really wasn't coping. The, the car accident definitely wasn't my fault. I was stopped on the highway, but I really struggled with the fact that a young girl died in my car crash and she was the same age as Katrina, our second eldest child. And I was, you know, it was just in my head, the things that her parents have lost, the things, that, the fact that she had died and she had no life ahead of her and, and why didn't I die and not her because I was in the bottom car and I was 42 and she was only 18 and all of these things that get in your head and uh, I can understand and never want to be in a situation where I have um, mental, psychological issues that are so hard to control because I think they feel like they're out of your control. When your leg's broken, you can see and feel your leg be getting better. But when something's going on in your head, it is just so tough and you need all of the support of everybody around you that is so important and you really need the love and understanding of your family and my girls and Ange were amazing. See, early on I didn't even know I had short-term memory problems. They were just trying to save my life, you know, when I went yeah. into hospital. And then all, I went to a counsellor in Melbourne because of all the problems that I was having and I was living in Bendigo and she said, so what did they say about, you know, your head injury? And I said, well, nothing really. And she was able to find out that I had frontal lobe damage and short-term memory problems. And my kids were sticking sticky notes on the steering wheel of my car when I was going into town. And I felt like a child. And yeah. I was getting, rather than um, saying thank you for doing that, I was getting really angry that they would do something like that. But then one day in Bendigo, I, I parked my car and I was supposed to be picking up milk and something else, I can remember that now. I walked in the, into the mill, walked around for a while, sat down and had a cup of coffee and saw a couple of people and did this for two hours. Because I'm not working, I'm told I'm never going to work again, yeah. I'm filling in time. Yep. And then I went to go back to my car and had no idea where it was. Didn't know where my car was. One of my mates had gone come past me and said, I saw your car. I said, wow, where was it? He, Whereabouts? He said, oh, in Queen Street. 
I said, really? I said, that's good. By this time, I've got the shakes. I'm really uptight and frustrated. And I'm walking up the street and I said to Kelly, who was walking towards me, I said, Kelly, where's Queen Street? And she just laughed at me and gave me a tap on the shoulder and she said, geez, you're a dag, John, you know, and just kept on going. Yeah. Well, Queen Street was the next street. But I didn't even know where I was and I found my car with two parking tickets on it. (laughs) And you know what I did? Got in the car, drove straight to the council offices, paid for the two parking tickets because I needed that out of my life. Yeah because I was so frustrated with everything and I was, I was not in control of anything and yet I'd been in management where I controlled everything, I controlled other people's businesses and helped them with their businesses and I knew everybody's name and I have a terrible memory now for names and uh, I just learned to live with all of that and all that comes from a car crash. Wow, it's crazy, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, we're gonna get into the next part of the story shortly but when you're going through that rehabilitation process, how are you feeling about the fact that you're still alive? Is that motivating? You mentioned that you said you felt like you should have been the one that was killed. Yeah. Are you motivated to keep going because you're so lucky or is, is this a hard thing to sort of deal with? Do you know, it's, it's like waves. It, it comes in waves. You understand how lucky you are that you're, you're still here with your wife and children and mum and dad and all your brothers and sisters and friends. And then as you're doing your rehabilitation and you're thinking, this is never going to end. I'm never, they told me I was never going to be who I was physically. And I knew that. And I was, I played A grade cricket. I played um, top level footy um, in Ballarat and then Bendigo. And I was running all the time and I was incredibly fit. And actually, I had 180 stitches and they were taken out on the fourth day. I didn't smoke and didn't drink. And the doctor said, I've never taken stitches out on the fourth day. It's because he said of your lifestyle. So, yeah, so that's what I was like. But then all of a sudden, I couldn't do anything. My girls were picking things up that I would normally pick up, but I couldn't bend down with my back. Mm. And one day I, I had fed the dog and I was just um, scraping the last little bit out of the tin and my back went on me. I fell in the dog food. We had a Labrador. I fell in the dog food and rolled over onto my back in awful pain. And here's the Labrador licking all the dog food <laughs> off my chest. <laughs> it was sensational. <laughs> Honestly, the, I'm uh, glad you could find humor in uh, <laughs> The good thing about our family is that we do have great senses of humor. Yes. And you need humor in life because I'll tell you, life will continue to come up and kick you when you mm-hmm. don't expect it and uh, you have to be able to take it sure and i think football gave us that gives us that definitely you get you get knocked down in footy you have to be able to get up again and not go chasing that person to get even with him you have to go and help your mate get the ball yeah that's what it's about it's about being prepared and able to have the mindset Mm. to help your mate yeah 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 we love, we love our footy. We just had a good footy chat at the start of this, didn't we? Yeah, yeah we did. We did. Off, off air, of course. Go Lions. I don't, John, John couldn't believe how much I love footy, which was a nice compliment. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right, John, let's let's get into this story now. Yeah. Um, I'm not even going to say any more. This is, this is Carmen's story. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. So I just want you to tell it, and we're just going to sit back and relax. Right. Yeah. That's great. So our... On, uh, uh, the accident happened on the 4th of April 1993. That's what my, when my car crash happened. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I was 42 and so was Ange. Uh, Michelle was 20, Katrina 18, 
Jasmine was 16 and Carmen, our youngest, was aged 15. So as you can tell, we had three girls and I put an order in with Anne that we would have four boys so I could coach them <laughs> cricket and football, but no, she did the wrong thing by me four times in a row. So I hung up the boots. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, of course, of course. You can, only go, you, now. you can only no. go so yeah. far, you know. Yeah. And what I like to say to people is that you never think it's going to happen to you. I'm a good driver. And I believe I'm a good driver, but you cannot take the roads for granted. You can't take anything that you do as a driver for granted, and you must always keep an eye on the opposition. Mm -hmm. And the opposition is the other car driver, because honestly, there's so much aggravation out there, there's so much anger, there's so, much, so many people don't have time and therefore they take it out, they, they speed, they do all these things that we know that we shouldn't do. And as I say to students, I, I speak at approximately 70 schools a year, and I say to the students, when you get your license, always leave early when you're going somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then enjoy the fact that you've got the freedom of driving your own motor vehicle and just stick to the road rules, the things that have been made and put in place to keep us all safe. Enjoy the experience. And the other thing to do is go and ask another young person who's lost their licence and ask them what it's like to have lost your licence and what hoops did you have to jump through to go and try and get it back again. I'm telling you, a licence is something precious and you must keep it once you get it. I then say to the students, but you know it'll never happen to you. Today, I was this morning I was at Aquinas College, which I this is the 15th year in a row that I've spoken to the Year 12 students at Aquinas College. And uh, I asked the question, who's ever been in a car accident? One third of the hands went up. Wow. Yep, one third. And I mean, some of them might be really minor, which is good. Uh, and obviously they weren't too bad, seeing they're all sitting there in the classroom. Yeah. And I say to them, you know though, that'll never happen to you again. And the ones who've never had a car accident, you know you're never going to be in a car accident. And I say to them, but I want to tell you just how dangerous our roads really are and how, how fragile, fragile our life is. On the 18th of November, 1995, just two and a half years after I had my car crash, Carmen, our 18 year old youngest daughter was killed in a car crash, just five kilometers from home. I had my crash five kilometres from home uh, towards Melbourne at Axtale and we come out a road and turn right and go towards Bendigo, Carmen was five kilometres that way. And I, I then talked them through about what happened that morning. Carmen was a year 12 student at Catholic College in Bendigo. Uh, she'd had a licence for three months she, and I taught all of my girls to drive and she was easily the best driver of the lot because I got better at what I was doing with my four girls and she was a really good driver. This particular Saturday morning, Michelle, our eldest daughter, was 23 and she was an apprentice hairdresser and she had to get up and go to work. So at 7.30, she went down into the kitchen. Normally, Carmen would sleep in until about 11 o'clock as normally young kids do. Yeah. Uh, and particularly when they had their friends out and Carmen had brought her best friend, Carmen Trevine, out from school Friday night. What we didn't know at the time was that the two Carmens had talked in the bedroom until 4.30 in the morning, as you do yeah. when you've got young kids, we, uh, we when you've got your friends time. with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it, that's what yeah. you do, you talk, yeah. you enjoy each other's company. Michelle walked into the kitchen, and here's Carmen sitting at the kitchen table, fully dressed, 
She had her arms on the table and she had her head in her arms and she was asleep. And Michelle got a real shock and she said, Carmen, what are you doing up? Because Carmen Trevini came out the night before, Carmen Trevini worked part-time at McDonald's in Bendigo. So our Carmen had to take her into work because Carmen Trevini, although the same age, hadn't even started to learn to drive. And I encourage every single person who can, is old enough to learn to drive, to learn to drive, get your license so you can rely on yourself for your own life on the roads. It is really important because there are so many people who will drive you around and take a risk with your life. And people do the most amazing thing when they get in the car as a passenger. They get in the car, they pull the seatbelt on, and they then gift their one and only life to a driver, to somebody else, who they may have even been drinking with earlier. You don't know what the, the situation, or they might be just in a silly mood, want to show you how good their V6 duties or whatever they yeah, are. Yeah. So then you're the passenger and that person owns your life 100%. And you will live or die in a car crash 100% based on luck. Because a car crash with your, your car crumpling all around you, you have no control about what that outcome is going to be. So what happened on that morning, Carmen Trevine walked into the kitchen and she said to uh, Carmen, come on Carmen, let's go. So they went out to the car, but Michelle, who was 23, went out to the car with them. When they got to the car, Michelle said, Carmen, you're tired. Wind the window down, turn the wireless up, you'll be right, mate, I'll catch you later. And she gave her a big thumbs up. I was getting dressed in the bedroom and I heard Carmen go out our, drive out our gate, gave us a toot, like our girls always gave us a toot as they left home for the 20 minute drive into Bendigo. Michelle got ready for work and at quarter past eight, 45 minutes later, Michelle went out to her car and got in her car to go into work. And I can tell everybody, and I always do say, that Michelle gave this part of this presentation for me for three years until she had Jada, our eldest grandchild. So I, I, I'm telling this from Michelle's perspective. So Michelle drove out the gate, gave us a two, went back down to McIver Highway, where you turn right to go into Bendigo. Now it's a highway, pretty busy. She pulled up at the stop sign, looked right towards Bendigo, and there was no cars coming. She said her heart nearly stopped. She drove off, started driving in towards Bendigo, and there were still no cars coming. And at all of the presentations that Michelle gave, and I've seen her give presentations to 400 students, it would be at this time that she would start crying. But she would never, ever stop. And the reason she would never stop is because she needed everyone who was listening to know that they are the most important person in the world to the people who love you so much. You belong to us. It is your life that you're living, but you are so important to us. We don't function, we don't exist, we, don't, we can't have everything that we want if you are no longer in our lives. So Michelle's driving along and by now she said her heart was racing. She said she was feeling sick. She actually felt like vomiting because she knew that there was something wrong and she just felt in her heart that whatever it was, it was to do with Carmen. She came over this small rise five kilometers from home and she saw Carmen's car crashed into a tree. She pulled up, she went running towards the car and thankfully, the person standing beside the car was a 24-year-old police officer who was the first person on the scene. 
because can you believe that thankfully after Carmen had dropped Carmen Trevine off at McDonald's in Bendigo on the way home at 100 kilometres an hour, our beautiful little Carmen went to sleep at the wheel and hit that tree, not with the bonnet, not with the boot. It was exactly with the driver's side door and Carmen was killed instantly. The policeman saw Michelle running towards the car and he stepped out and grabbed her at the front of the bonnet and said, where do you think you're going, young lady? Michelle said, that's my sister in there and I'm going to take her home. He said, I'm sorry, but I can't let you go there. She said, that's my sister in there and I'm taking her home. He said, I'm sorry, but I can't let you go there. And Michelle could see the bonnet. She, uh, the, she said she could see the blanket. She could see the condition of the car. She then said to the policeman, is Carmen all right? And this young police officer burst into tears. And people don't understand the jobs that our police do. They are amazing people. I couldn't do what they do. They are incredible. He burst into tears and he said, I'm really sorry, but your sister is dead. And Michelle was one metre from Carmen's body in the car. Michelle started screaming. She started fighting with the policeman. She actually punched him in the face to try and get away from him to get to Carmen. Thankfully for us, he held her tighter and thankfully for Michelle as well. She then said to him, please let me go to Carmen. She's in that car on her own. I need to be with Carmen. I need to hold Carmen's hand. He said, I'm sorry, I just can't let you do that. And Michelle then said to him, but you don't understand. It's my fault that Carmen is dead. And the reason Michelle said that was because she walked out to the car only 45 minutes earlier and said, Carmen, you're tired. But you see, we didn't know anything about fatigue. Our family knew nothing about fatigue. No one else blames Michelle. Michelle is going to be 49 on the 17th of May and she still blames herself for Carmen's death. She lives with that all her life. And we're so thankful we're such a close family. And the reason she still blames herself is because we were all so close. I know there are fractured families, sadly, and perhaps they don't feel what we feel, but I think they really deep down they do. And I can also tell you that Carmen isn't the one who should have been killed in a car accident. It actually should have been me because I used to, when I was working, I used to always drive my car while I was tired because I travelled from Bendigo, often leave at 5.30 in the morning, come to Melbourne to the office and go to conferences and finish down there at 8 o'clock at night and then drive home. I'd be going through Heathcote and I'd be yawning. That's the very first sign of fatigue is a yawn. Everybody must understand that. And then I'd start taking those long blinks that they call micro-sleeps. And they are micro-sleeps. And, but I wouldn't stop, I'd keep on driving. But what I tell everyone now is, and we've all heard of a power nap, I always leave at least an hour early whenever I'm going anywhere. When I was coming to Aquinas College this morning, my presentation was at 20 past 11 and I arrived there at quarter to 10. Because if I feel that I'm getting tired, I pull over immediately. I take my phone out of my pocket and I set my alarm for 15 or 30 minutes, whatever I think I need, and I lay the seat back and I have what's called a power nap. And I go to sleep just like that, straight away. When I wake up, this is what you don't hear about a power nap. And I believe this is the most important part. 
I don't just drive off. I get out of the car and I walk really quickly up the road 100 metres as fast as I can and as fast as I can back again. I'd run if I could, but I really get the, the adrenaline pumping. I am puffing and when I get back in the car and put my seatbelt on, I am so pumped up there is no way you can go to sleep. Mm. Now I'm a really safe driver for every other user on the road, for myself and most importantly for the people who love me so much which is my family and my grandkids. I couldn't possibly do what Carmen has done to us to our grandkids. If there's a grandparent out there who will hear this they will understand that grandkids are actually better than kids. Can you believe what I'm saying? Like I, I can because of my grandparents. Yeah. 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 Well, the thing is, when you're a parent, you're busy. Yeah. You're working. You try to earn money to send your kids through school, and you take them to your footy to their footy training and all this. You're really busy. When you've got grandkids, you sit back and you watch them develop and you take them yeah. to the footy with pleasure. Yeah. And you watch them get a kick and you play. Oh, I think I heard a quote and it was like, you, you raise your children and you get to spoil your grandchildren. That's right. And you also get to send them home. Yeah, true. <laughs> when you've had enough. That's it, exactly. <laughs> That's right. So I'm so thankful and I can't do to my family what Carmen has done to us. And I'll tell you what happened then after uh, Michelle being at the car, the policeman put Michelle in the car. Of course, we weren't aware of this. We were waiting at home because we were going into Bendigo to do some shopping. We're waiting for ages because Carmen should have been home. Next thing, we hear a car come up Hawkins Lane. And I looked up, expecting to see Carmen drive in our driveway. And what we saw, I say to every student and every corporate event that I go speak at, I pray that your parents, your grandparents and your children never ever get to see what we saw. For the first time in our life, we saw a police car drive in our driveway. And thank God we've never seen it since. We went over, a young 24 year old policeman got out of the car crying. So I knew something was wrong. I said, can I help you? He said, there's been a car accident, it's Carmen and she's gone. I said, where's she gone to? And this poor bloke was crying that much, all he could get out the second time was, Carmen's gone. And I got really angry and I said, mate, what are you talking about? Where's Carmen gone to? Just then the back door of the police car opened and none of us had looked past the policeman. Michelle stepped out with tears streaming down her face. She realized I didn't understand what I was being told and I can still see Michelle standing there looking at us. I can see her gestures and everything and she said dad Carmen's dead just like that it's like getting hit with a ton of bricks and actually it takes a while to really sink in too being told something like that Jasmine collapsed on the ground Jasmine was 18 months older than Carmen Michelle pushed between the policeman and Angie and myself and picked Jasmine up the next thing I know, we're all cuddling each other and crying. I say to the students, and this actually really hits home with the students, I say, now I want you to do this. It's the, going to be the toughest thing that you have done probably for a long, long time. But I want you all to look really closely at me. And I now want you to replace me. This is no longer John Ma standing here in front of you. This is your dad standing up here. 
or this could be your really incredibly brave mum standing up here in front of next year's group of students. And I say the same thing at corporate, and the corporate people do the same, there's tears. People understand that this is what they have done to their dad or their mum, and their mum and dad are now trying to stop other people from doing what has destroyed their life. You see, Carmen was the lucky one that day. Carmen was killed instantly. But we had to face it, and we still face it 25 years down the track. And I've been doing this for 24 years now, giving these talks, but I am the lucky one in our family because every time I give this presentation, do you know who I'm talking about? Carmen. Carmen is in my life, and I know that she is with me every time I give these presentations. She helps me through them, otherwise I couldn't possibly do them. And I know that the kids feel Carmen's presence too. I say to the kids, now what we did as a family, and your family will do the same thing, we all went inside. The policeman put the kettle on, we're sitting at the kitchen table with our arms around each other, crying and saying prayers for Carmen. And it then dawned on me, I have to bring Katrina, our second eldest daughter. She was in Sydney, she was 21 years old at the time, the assistant manager of the second largest Bets and Bets shoe store in Australia, and I had to ring Trine. I rang and thankfully the manager answered the phone. And I asked him to stand by and support Katrina when he when she came to the phone. And our family is just a really happy family, full of tricks, full of fun, full of life. And Katrina came to the phone, the manager's standing beside her and she said, Dad, fancy you ringing me on a Saturday morning. I didn't even want to come to work today. Dad, this is sensational. You've made my day. And the manager's standing beside her. I said, Trine, I've got some really, really bad news to tell you. Trine, there's been a car accident. And Trine, it's Carmen. And Trine, I'm really sorry, but Carmen is dead. Now, anybody who hears this should just take the time to think of how they might word those words to their loved one, to their bro brother or their son or their mum or dad. And there's no other way thing you can say. I've thought about it. Could I have done it better? But what they will hear on the other end of the phone will be very similar to what I heard from Katrina. I heard poor Trina saying, no dad, no dad, no dad, not Carmen, dad, no dad, no. Then she dropped the phone in the Bets and Bets shoe store and I could hear poor Trina screaming at the top of her voice, Carmen, 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 Carmen. And I couldn't even put my arms around her. She's in Sydney on her own. I then rang mum and dad at Bungaree. Mum and dad were both 69 years old. And as I say to the kids, we all know that mums are really weird people. They have this sixth sense about everything. They know what's going on before you do. And I rang and mum answered the phone. I was hoping dad would. And I said, mum, is dad there? She said, John, what's wrong? Just like that. I said, I'd like to talk to Dad. She said, you tell me what's wrong now, John. I said, Mum, there's been a car accident. And Mum, it's Carmen. And I'm really sorry, Mum. Carmen is dead. I heard Mum and I can still hear her screaming out to Dad, Jack, 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 my God, Jack! 
Carmen's been killed in a car crash. Then I rang my brother Brendan, my brother Peter, Terry, Gavin, my sister Carmel. Then I turned on Angie's family, Huey, Frank, Jim, Jacko and Mari up at Maroochydaw. Carmen's dead. I'm telling everybody Carmen's dead. We had a Teledex beside the phone. It had a slider on it. It went from A down to Z. There are 160 telephone numbers in there. They were all my friends, Angers, Michelle's, Katrina's, Jasmine's, and all of Carmen's friends' phone numbers were in the Teledex. And between Ange and I, and between crying and not crying, we rang everyone, nearly. But we didn't ring everyone because after I'd made about 15 phone calls, I put my hand on the receiver and the phone rang and it frightened the living daylights out of me. And I picked it up and I said, John speaking. And someone on the other end of the phone literally screamed at me, John, please tell me it's not true. And here I am, 25 years down the track, still getting upset because of Carmen. Carmen was lucky. Carmen died instantly. But our girls, they still get together at Christmas and birthday parties. We still have it. Angie's birthday is on the 21st of August. No, Carmen's on the 21st of August and Angie's on the 22nd. So every year we have a joint birthday party for them. Do you know, it's tough. My three girls and the Miller girls, there's four of them. We had four girls each, all the same ages, and they go out every year on the anniversary of Carmen's death together to celebrate Carmen. That's how close we were as a family and how close we are as a family. I keep saying to everybody, you cannot, you simply cannot do this to the people who love you so much because you're the most important person in the world to them and you will just wreck their lives and it will get easier five years down the track. It'll get a little bit easier 10 years down the track but you will never again sit at the kitchen table come to Christmas, enjoy the love and the cuddles. And I say to them, what do I miss the most about Carmen? I miss Carmen's cuddles. We're a really cuddly family. I would give anything to give Carmen one more cuddle. And I say to the all the schools, the kids heard it this morning. Here's a message through me from Carmen directly to each one of you. The very second that you get home today, you drop your school bag and go straight to your mum. Give your mum the biggest cuddle you have ever given your mum in your life. Tell your mum how much you love her. And when you've finished cuddling mum, and I hope it takes a long time, step back, look your mum in the eyes and put your hand on your heart and say, mum, I promise you this, I will never do to you what Carmen has done to her mum. And when you see your dad, give your dad a monster cuddle. And if you can, just spare a tiny thought for me because Carmen can never come up and give me a cuddle again. But give your dad this monster cuddle and say, Dad, I love you and I know all of the things you do for me and I appreciate them. I love you, Dad. And now that I'm in year 12 or year 10 or I'm, a, I'm an employee somewhere, I promise you that I will never do to you what Carmen has done to her dad. Cuddle your sister, cuddle your brother. And I usually say when I, to the girls, I say, cuddle your brother. 
and you might get a bit of rejection there. <laughs> and they all have a bit of a laugh at that, yeah, which is true. Because, but you know what? Mm. They all love each other. Yeah. Families love each other. Mm. And make a pact as a family that you will never do to each other what Carmen has done to our family. You cannot ever do that. I didn't talk about, we've got Carmen's video here, which uh, I play for them, which brings some more tears in the, in the auditorium, wherever I am, and uh, that's fine. That's really good. We're gonna put that on our Instagram. Yeah, yeah that will be great. And if, we, if, well, we will have parents listening to this, no doubt. Definitely. who have their son or their daughter that they're teaching to drive right at the moment. Now, you have to do 120 hours learning to drive. And I want to bring that into perspective. I ask the kids, it's a lot of hours, isn't it? And they all say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's two years you have to do it. 120 hours is just five days. Wow. Yeah, I've never thought of it like that. Work it out. Wow. In five days, mum and dad expect that they're going to teach you to drive a one and a half ton vehicle out there on the freeway in Melbourne traffic on the hot country roads and they think they can do it in five days? Five days, that's nothing. It is nothing. It's terrible, isn't it? That is, I can't believe that. Yes, wow. yes. But the other thing I also say, on a terrible night, it's pouring rain, it's blowing a gale and it's a shocking night and you're going to a friend's place and you say to mum, can I drive tonight? Mum will more than likely say, oh no, the weather's too bad, I'll drive. Your response must be, it must be, do you know that one day when I get my licence, I may have to drive in these conditions on my own? Yeah. And I'd really like you to teach me how to do it by sitting beside me. And the statistics show that the, the safest time of every driver's life is when you're learning to drive. And the most dangerous time of every driver's life is the first six months after getting your license. And that's borne out in my presentation. Poor Emma had a license for 23 days and Carmen had her license for three months. That's a fact. So I would love every mum and dad to let their kids drive the car everywhere, give them 500 hours of experience and then you will have a chance, I guarantee you will have a chance that your son and daughter can survive deadly roads that they drive mm. on. And I then ask the question, why are there so many deaths on our roads? And I know that you'll read out some statistics shortly. There's always been speeding, always. If it says on your odometer that your car will do 200 kilometers an hour, don't argue with it, just believe it. Okay, don't say no you won't and, ha and try it, just believe it because out there on the roads, Vic roads, the police, there's signs out everywhere, 100 kilometres an hour and if you see that, just do a maximum of 100 kilometres an hour. If you see 60, just do 60. If you see 40 around a school, maximum of 40. It is really simple stuff. Mm. Leave early enjoy the fact that you've got a nice car you're driving your car you've got plenty of time stick to the road rules and you will have a great chance the other thing is the mobile phone the mobile phone is deadly in a car and we all know that i can i can feel my phone going off at the moment and 
and it's on vibrate. There you go. I've got a phone call. Yeah, happening right yeah. at the moment. Yeah, that, that's that's right. actually quite creepy. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? His phone is ringing. Like, that's weird. That, that's yeah. how powerful your podcast is. Yeah, wow. You see, isn't that incredible? That's crazy. And you, Ted, what if happens? You're listening, Ted, Ted, yeah, that, he's my brother. <laughs> he's my brother. The fact is, if you've got your phone over there and you hear it ringing, you go, mm. "What did I do? I pulled it out and had a look at the screen. Showed you guys the screen." Yeah. Because you immediately your eyes go to the screen because you want to know who's texting you or ringing you. Because it comes up. Yeah. Now put your phone in the glove box or better still in the boot. And don't have anything to do with your phone when you're driving a car. It's been proven that too many people are dying because of inattention due to the mobile phone. And there's also inattention due to other young people in the car causing a ruckus. Mm. And egging you on to do a burnout or do something like that. They're talking about the footy. It's distraction. It takes your mind off what you should be doing, which is driving on the roads. The The next thing is, one in 482 drivers last year tested over 0.05. One in every 482 drivers. Now, everyone knows that you must not drive over 0.05 if you're 0.05 and the young people know they must be double zero mm. and there was a car accident in Bendigo in September last year these were three school kids two 18 year olds well they're not kids they're men young men and a 16 year old in the back seat they'd been out drinking the 18 year old driver of the car decided to drive them home well, drive was doing 158 in one of the main streets in Bendigo, in a 60 kilometre zone. They hit a power pole, the driver didn't get killed, hardly any injuries. The passenger who was a, felt he was going to be a champion cricketer, airlifted to Melbourne, I don't know whether he'll ever play cricket again, who got killed? The 16 year old only child sitting in the back seat of, of parents. Of course, of course. You must be very careful of who you get in the car with. But I have to also say this. Everybody will be blaming the driver. I'm not. Because everyone has a choice. These other two boys were drinking with the driver. They knew that he should be double zero. They chose to get in the vehicle with him, didn't they? You have choice. You must exercise your choice and you must be smart about the things that you're doing. I now come to the number one killer on our roads. One in every five drivers are driving under the influence of drugs. One in every five drivers, every fifth driver on the road is driving under the influence of drugs and it is the number one killer on our roads. And there was the Public Accounts and Estimates Committee said ice and ecstasy are the most dangerous and they increase your chance of a car crash by up to 24 times. Now, you and I get in the car with no alcohol, nothing in our system, we would have a chance of a car crash because the chance is always there because we're moving forward in a vehicle and we're on the roads. But this is said to increase your chance of up to 24 times. I, I encourage everyone who's learning to drive to get their license so they can look after themselves and their friends on the road, be the responsible one. 
but I urge every person who decides they want to be in the drug scene, and I'm not preaching to you not to be in the drug scene, although I do know drugs are illegal, I would never go down that track. I hope my grandkids and everybody that I know never ever touch it once, not even once, but if you're in that scene or you want to go into that scene, never ever ever get your license. Never put your hands on a steering wheel, rely on your friends to drive you around. That's if you've still got them as friends if you're on drugs. And I'm going to read this one out because the heading that I have for this students is thank God for the police, mum and dad. So this is from mum and dad saying thank God for the police. Now, I don't know whether they did thank the police or not, but I certainly would. Officers followed the stolen car from Footscray. There we go, there's, there's Wait, some we siren. We just looked at each other and went, you're kidding me? Oh. Yeah, a siren just went past. So I follow the police Facebook page and I recommend everybody should in Victoria. It is just fantastic to let you understand what these poor men and women have to put up with and what they're trying to do and what they have to try and do to keep us safe as a society. They're amazing people. Officers followed the stolen car from Footscray through North Melbourne, Brunswick, Brunswick East, Fitzroy, Carlton North and then onto Separation Street, Northcote, where the stolen car increased its speed to over 150 kilometres an hour. The police air wing then took up position and followed the vehicle through Preston, Coburg, Faulkner, Epping, before the vehicle was disabled on Cooper Street, Epping, where the offenders attempted to flee the vehicle. Two males and three females offenders were arrested at the scene. Now, does Anybody think that when they're doing 150 kilometres an hour that they stopped at the red lights and the stop sign that was coming up or even it slowed down at the intersection? How did they survive that? I am so thankful for the police because the police have arrested them. The other option would have been that the police would have been knocking on the doors of five homes mm -hmm. and speaking to mum and dad and saying, Carmen's dead, just like what happened to us. And there is no, take that back, it's done. It's dusted, it's finished. You now have a life without your it's son or your it's daughter. It's your problem now, yeah. Yeah, it's done. It's horrible. And, and it's a shocking thing. And how it must affect the police. The young policeman who put the blanket over Carmen, he was out on patrol. He sees Carmen's car crashed into a tree. He went and took Carmen's pulse. He went to the boot of his car, threw the blanket over Carmen, but what he must have seen must have been horrific because we weren't allowed mm. to go and see Carmen. It was recommended by Barry at the funeral parlour, who I know really well. He said, John, you simply can't bring your children in to see Carmen like this. And you can't bring Ange in to see Carmen like this. And he said, and I beg of you, mate, remember Carmen the way she was. Please don't come in and see Carmen. And as a family, we made a choice not to see Carmen. So when she was killed in that car accident, we never ever got to hold her hand, tell her how much we loved her and say goodbye to her. And when a person kills themselves on the roads, they take so much away from the people that they love. And I hope that when this goes out, that if a mum and dad is listening to this, that they get their family around them and they listen to what happens and what can happen. I picked this up off the police Facebook page again only two weeks ago. Hooning is illegal, they say. 
reckless and a nuisance to other road users and the wider community. It is dangerous and we want to put a stop to it. In the past two weeks, 60 cars have been crushed for a range of offences including human <coughs> driving. A total of 1,048 cars were flattened in 2020. Does everybody realise that 2020 we weren't even allowed out? Yes, wow. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. That was when COVID was on. We weren't even allowed to leave the house. No, no. Carmen has a roadside memorial and the Bendigo City Council called me, we were living in Ballarat and they said, we're widening the road and we're knocking down what everybody is calling Carmen's tree. And the workmen have cars pulling up. What are you doing with Carmen's tree? They're really? asking. Yep. Wow. And because people go out there, there was always flowers at Carmen's tree and the big yellow cross, which you'd seen. Yep. yep. They said we'd like to put a memorial there. So they put a memorial there with a little drive off with people and people yeah. go there. There's flowers there all the time. People never forget Carmen. You see, at the funeral, it was a monster funeral. I just thought Carmen was Carmen. There was people standing outside the church everywhere. They had to get the police out to man the roads to get us to the cemetery. Yeah. And I thought Carmen was just Carmen. And to any parent who's listening to this, don't think that your child is just your child because they belong to so many people. Mm. They influence others. They are just incredible. Yeah, that's really good yep, advice. Yeah. It is. It is absolutely true. And your brother, I don't know whether you have a brother. Two sisters. Two sisters. <laughs> your sisters are not just your sisters. Mm. They have touched so many lives. You've touched so many lives. And you are loved by so many people. And when you see the people that you love next, the first thing you do to them is give them a cuddle. Because you never ever know when it could be the last cuddle you've ever given them. And as I said before, I'd give anything. I wouldn't even have to speak to Carmen. Just a cuddle. To feel Carmen's cuddle would be unbelievable. And we have thousands of photos of Carmen and our family, which is just fantastic, like everybody else does. My three girls and their husbands have two children each. So we have six grandchildren, which is amazing. Two of them finished year 12 last year, so I'm feeling really old. <laughs> Jada is, has gone to... Um, Can I ask, have you spoken at their schools? Yes, yes, yep. I, I always speak. Yep, yep. At St Pat's College in yep. Ballarat and Loretto College is yep. where Jada went. And uh, also at Damascus in Ballarat, because I went to St Paul's Tech, which then was gobbled up or combined, and it's yep. now Damascus. And uh, yes, of course, I yeah, speak great. at those That's schools. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, the school I don't speak at, can you believe, is the one where my girls were all educated. Really? Yep, and that is the school that lost the 16-year-old boy last year, oh. and lost an 18-year-old boy the year before. And still at school, and I coached the 18-year-old boy's father at cricket, and I have so many of their parents contacting me yeah, and saying. Nice. Could you please bring Carmen's story to our school? My child is now in year 10 or 11 or 12. And I say, look, I contact them every year. I've sat down with them and I can't get in. It's not up to me. Now, I just don't understand. Mm. I'm, I'm just hoping yeah. that they have another incredible road safety story that yeah. they tell yeah. Them yeah. to the kids. That's all I'm hoping. It's very, very sad. You guys will see this anyway, but the people listening won't. Yeah. That's my car. Yep. with Carmen's road safety on the side of it. Oh, a big wow. photo of Carmen. That's Isn't nice. that incredible? That's awesome. So if anybody sees Carmen's photo on the side of the driver's side door and Carmen's oh, road safety on it, awesome. please come up and say hello to me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Tell me that you've heard Carmen's story. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Because I'd love to hear that. <laughs> I always finish up, and I'm going to give you guys one of these as well. It is the most one of the most important things in my presentation. This is Carmen's bookmark. On the front, it has the photo of Carmen. It has fatigue, 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 fatigue all over the front of it and my details at the bottom. But on the back is the piece of gold. When I had my car crash, Carmen was just 15 years old. And Carmen, I got, well, I got get well cards from all of my girls. I'm in intensive care. They mm. thought that because they were at home receiving phone calls from Leslie Alvey, a great friend of ours, telling them that what stage they were at in getting me out of the car and that I'd spoken a couple of times and things like that. They didn't know whether I was going to live or die and these three girls, the four girls were all home on their own. So the, this is Carmen's wording of the get well card that she gave to me. Would you like to read it out? Yeah. I'm going to, yeah. yes. She said, Dad, I love you. I love you more than anything. The feeling of darkness, the feeling of loneliness, the feeling of not having a father nearly broke my heart. The feeling of not seeing you was like a bomb going off inside of me. The thought, the pain that went through us all was like a nothing, a nothing that swept our hearts, a nothing that dug deeper and deeper every minute, every second of the day. But then to hear your voice and to see your face, it gave me that love, that love that every one of us thought we had lost. I love you, Dad. I love you more than anything. Love, Carmen. And it was only two and a half really short years later that we lost Carmen mm. and we lost all those cuddles and we lost all the, all of the things that we love from Carmen and no one should ever take their family and their friends for granted mm. always understand that anything is possible in our life our life is very fragile I know that we hope that nothing will ever happen but sadly we can pick up the paper tomorrow and find out that something has. The other thing that I've done that I would like to tell you about that I'm really proud of. Just about to ask you about this. Yes, yes. I have, it's taken me 18 years. I have written a book. It's all about Carmen, all about, it's called Carmen's Legacy because I've spoken to, I think 350 to 400,000 students, apart from all of the corporate events the biggest corporate event I went and spoke at was in uh, Vancouver, Canada, wow. where awesome. I spoke at the Million Dollar Round Table, and there were 11,500 delegates heard Carmen's story wow. and got a, got a standing ovation. Oh, I'm surprised. Yep, yeah. Carmen gets a standing ovation all the time, yeah. and I'll be walking down the street, and someone will call out to me from the other side of the street. They'll be yelling out, Carmen, 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 <laughs> because they've got no idea who I am, but they <laughs> always remember still We're, continuing to have isn't it fantastic yeah. and i yeah, mean absolutely. these can be these can be people in their 40s yeah because yeah. that's how long i've been doing they heard this that story when they yes were, yeah absolutely and i gave a presentation at donald secondary college uh, and primary school and that was put together by a year six student whose mother heard me speak when she was at secondary college wow and there'd been a car accident in donald and two people were killed she contacted me straight after that and she said, my mum has told me about Carmen, would you please come and speak? Mm. Now, that's Carmen's reach and that's, and do you know, I have no doubt that Carmen will have made a difference in that town, in so many towns, mm. which is great. Yeah, so in three months time, 
maybe four, I'm hoping that Carmen's legacy will be out and I'm going to give you two guys a signed copy as I promised. <laughs> yep. Oh, okay. So we'll, we'll um, love to read that. Yeah, yeah, it'll be great. I'd like to get your opinions on which cover design do you like ooh, the best? Ooh. Oh, come on. I like the left. This one? Yeah, because it's yep. just so yeah, real. Yeah, I think. Good on you. I think, well, the, yeah, I like the left because it incorporates the right side as It well, does, so, it yeah. does. And I'll have this one on the back in that case. Can you, you, know, can you share with us what you told us before about how long it's taken you to write it and yes. why it's taken so long? Yes, it's taken me 18 years to write Carmen's story. I can also tell you that Ange, my wife, didn't want me to do it, mm-hmm. but I had to share Carmen with everybody in a book. I can stand up and talk about Carmen, no problems at all, but I needed this to go on further than me after I've gone. Mm. I said, look, I really want to do this for myself and for Carmen. And when the girls, I spoke, we spoke to our girls about it and they said, that'd be great, Dad. So anyway, I've written the book and there's a chapter in there from Michelle, Katrina and Jasmine each. Ange wouldn't write a chapter and she couldn't. And I understand that fully because it took me 18 years to write this. I went through the first couple of chapters really easily because it was about my younger life and where I've come from and our marriage and all this type of thing. But then when I had to put put it down on the computer, looking at the keys and going through Carmen's death in that car crash, it was just so in my face. It was so heartbreaking for me doing it all these years after we'd lost Carmen. I couldn't see the screen. I was crying that much and then put me in a really sad place so often and I'd go back, oh, next week I'll be able to do it and I'd start it again and I'd just start crying again. Yeah. I kept, I got away from it for six years. I kept going back and it took me six years before I could write that chapter. And I wasn't even smart enough to work out that I could have actually written the other chapters <laughs> <laughs> before that, yeah. because I was on a journey. Yeah, I, was, yeah, yeah. I was on my journey, yeah. and I didn't, I hadn't even worked that out. That, well, maybe I work out. Go yeah. on, write. Well, it all links up with yeah. that one chapter. Exactly. Without that one chapter, yeah. the other chapters don't exist. Exactly. So you need that. Yeah. So, John, do you know? I know you said it's going to be three or four months. Do you know where people can buy it? Can they? Order no, online or I will, not look, not yet. I'll, I'll have a landing page for Carmen. Cool. I, I, had, yeah. I honestly had a wonderful Facebook page for Carmen. It had 11,000 oh, wow. followers and they were mainly students, uh, some other adults and parents and things yeah. like that. But on my own personal Facebook page, it got hacked as you do on Facebook. Oh, so you have to delete it. It what? got hacked. No, they deleted it. Oh. They deleted my Facebook page, and I was the manager or the person yeah, of the running page, yeah. of yeah. Carmen's. And it, I can't get into it. And what? And they'd also taken money off me because I'd, I'd advertised that oh. I was going to some things to do some things with Carmen, and they got into me. But I got the money back. That's good, not a good, problem. Good. But the worst thing is. I don't care about my page, but to lose Carmen's page mm. when so many people followed it, because I would say, this has happened, or I've just been to Aquinas College, yeah. I, and last week I went to Lara Secondary College yeah. in Geelong, and, yeah. and all this type of thing, it was heartbreaking yeah, to, yeah. to think that someone has done that, and I, I know that they didn't mean to mm. bring down Carmen's page, they were only pinching money off me. <laughs> <laughs> well, just also before I let you go, John, for anyone that's listening, how do they get in contact with you if they... Part of a school where they want to get this message to their school or to yes. their corporates or whatever how what's the best way to contact absolutely you? right the best way to contact me is at uh, my email address 
which is Carmen Road Safety, C-A-R-M-E-N-R-O-A-D-S-A-F-E-T-Y, all one word, at gmail.com. We'll have that in Perfect. our show notes as well for anyone that's listening. That'll be terrific, yeah. I just want to acknowledge you, John, because two weeks ago, me and Daniel had a conversation. We were planning our podcast guests. What are, what are some topics we want to tackle? And we just recently, and we spoke about to you this just off air before, but we've recently had a road accident and a death you know, in Mornington. We're both in the Mornington Peninsula and we didn't know the person, but we knew lots of mutual friends. And that was only, Daniel used to live right next door to me and that was at the back of our house. Like it was on, yeah. the, on the highway just off our house. Mm. And he was drink driving and it was, it's just horrible to see um, so many people that have been hurt by it. Um, but after that, we had the conversation on, we need to have someone on that can share this because this is someone from our community yep. that I don't know personally, but he knows a mate of mine and a mate of his. And it's a ripple effect. It's completely rocked with the community. And also too, like I said to your family, my sister, she's going to hate me saying this, but she's going for a license in a month or two months. Yes. And she needs to hear this. We all need to hear this. And I said to Doss as well, like, we need to remind ourselves of this. We need to listen back periodically mm. just to, because, I mean, I've known this story for five or six years. And yes. I've relayed that message multiple times, but I need to hear it for myself because yes. I'm not going to pretend that some of those things you mentioned before, like looking at your phone and glancing over, like most of us are guilty of that. Yeah, I'm guilty of it. Like, and it's just, you need to be reminded to go, what are you doing? Like, yeah. But I, yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge you and thank you because what you're doing and the message you're sharing for one, I can't understand the pain that you and Ange and your daughter, other daughters went through, but for you to do what you've done, um, I commend you for it because Absolutely. you've got a, a huge heart and for someone that's obviously, I've lost my dad too, when you're talking about the cuddles, like I was getting emotional and just yeah. picturing my dad, yes. how much I would love to hug my dad. That's great. And I, and I know it wasn't a, a road incident, but death is a real thing yes. and like you said, we're all, it's going to happen to to your loved one or whether it's on the road or not, um, make sure you grab them and tell them you love them. That's you know? the way to take that. Yeah. So That's right. Thank, thank you, John. Thank look, you, John. Look, I, th- I think that what you guys are doing is, is amazing. I've obviously known Daniel for quite some, di- some time and, and I think that um, what you're doing, because of your ages, is you're touching the younger people and making a difference in their lives and allowing them to understand that they're not alone yeah. And that's one of the things that a lot of people think they are alone, and they're not alone. They're so loved, and uh, that's part of my, like my, I say my, it is a road safety presentation, but you know, it's actually a presentation about family. Yeah, mm. Isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing, when I gave my email address there, I've also got presentation on DVD. Okay. Um, so if anybody wants to contact me, I just... And, and I don't promote the DVD, and I should, should yeah. because I think the DVD, what a wonderful gift for your grandson or your son or daughter who is going for their license Absolutely. or le- just learning to drive. Here, yeah. we're going to have a look at this together. Yeah. yeah, But I, I believe the DVDs aren't used in uh, on TVs anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's only yeah, on the yeah, computer. Get it on Netflix and everyone will be watching yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. exactly right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. No, I think that's it. I think that's it. All we can say is thank you, John. It's a tough message. It's confronting, but we're so grateful for your time. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. It shows a lot that through such uh, tragedy, and I can't imagine ever having to go in on stage and talk about this kind of thing, but you're, you're protecting others, you're giving people hope, 
and through such an event now you're, you're making a bigger impact than most people ever do so thank you again for your time today we can't thank you enough um, is there anything else no, you want to no, say? That's well, look, I'm, I'm so glad I'm, I now know John. That's yeah, all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, that's really yeah. great, yeah. yeah. But, but see, you guys are doing it too. Mm. See, you've now taken the road safety message to every single one of your listeners, and I hope that the people who know of your podcast now say, do you want to hear this road safety mm. message? Sure. And your podcast hopefully will grow because it's doing a great thing. And today... I'm really pleased to be able to bring Carmen into your lives and into the lives of your listeners because on behalf of myself and my family, Carmen is our gift to everyone who hears this. Thanks, John. Thank you, John. We appreciate it. Thank you.